Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Would you buy a shotgun to defend your career? How could facing death help you be stronger in other areas of your life? And how do you know when it's time to bend or when it's time to stand firm? Author and surfing legend Sean Thompson discusses winning, surviving horrendous loss, and how you can make sure you're not one of the one million people who will die this year because of bad choices. Welcome to The New Man. Today we're talking with Sean Thompson. He's a world champion and legendary surfer. He's a speaker and he's also the author of The Code, The Power of I Will. Sean, thank you for talking today. That's great to to chat, Tripp. There's a lot of wisdom in this book, a lot of practical wisdom because it's based on your real life experiences. But I I keep getting drawn back to this image of you as a younger man, you know, living on on the North Shore of Oahu which was kind of the wild west of the Pacific at that time, and you you got a shotgun to protect yourself. I, I'm just curious, what were you standing for? What what kept you from just getting on a plane and getting the heck out of there? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, I was uh, in Hawaii to compete like a lot of uh, young guys, or surfers that had, had aspirations of, of, of becoming great surfers. Uh, you had to go to Hawaii. Hawaii was for us. Um, the ultimate destination, that was Mount Everest, uh, Mecca, Annapurna, K2, you name it. It was sort of the place you had to go where, where one had to establish one's reputation and you had to test, uh, test your courage against the greatest waves in the world and also against the greatest surfers in the world because at that time, most of uh, all the greatest surfers in the world were, were from Hawaii. So uh-huh. I think us, a uh, group of, of uh, well, my cousin, myself, and a group of young Aussies, we all had the same sort of collective dream that we wanted to compete and we wanted to, to win uh, in Hawaii. And also we, um, we felt that there might be an opportunity to, to create pro surfing and actually, and actually get paid to, uh, to go surfing. 
So it, was, it wasn't even grounded yet. It wasn't even like, oh, if we do this, then we get paid. It was the, we might one day, it may work out, the, this dream of being a, a professional surfer. So you, you guys were taking a stand for that. It wasn't even reality yet. I mean, in, in some ways, we, were, we, you know, we, we had this dream of, of pro surfing and making a living from going surfing, but it was all based around this great passion that we had for surfing and, and the way to perpetuate this surf lifestyle. So, mm-hmm. Okay, and then, but it's that this was this was a this was a tough time. There was kind of a battle with the cultures there. It was very well documented in the in uh, busting down the door, which is a fantastic uh, uh, movie. Please check it out if you're listening out there. But uh, and, and so there was, the, but you 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 decided you were going to take a stand. You were not going to get pushed around in in, in that place. And I, I'm just I'm trying to put it in perspective for the guy that's listening. Who you know maybe looking for the easy way, and and I'm just imagining you there on the North Shore needing a shotgun to feel to feel a little safe to to just go for this dream of of the of the possibility of being a professional surfer. Over a period of years, we all ran into problems. Ultimately, uh, we're essentially the same group of guys who you know really tough guys, and these sort of guys on the periphery of the sport who are involved in a lot of illegal activities felt that they were the custodians of. Hawaiian culture and heritage, and uh, and started threatening us. And I got punched out a few times. I um, got hit with a bottle. I got uh, well. I, I narrowly ducked, and it, it didn't hit me in the head. But it was it was it was about an inch away. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of guys told me they were going to kill me. So wow. After uh, you know, I got obviously, I got really nervous, and you know, like. Um, like you have to make that decision. What do you do? Do you stay or do you leave? I mean, really easy to get back on a jump on a plane and, you know, go, go back to South Africa. But, you know, I wanted to stay. I mm. loved surfing. Surfing was my life. And, and in some ways, I suppose I was prepared to die for what I loved. So I drove out to, uh, to Schofield Barracks, to Wahiwa, pretty short drive from the North Shore, and went into the local gun shop and asked the gunsmith, you know, well, you know what you got? And he showed me it all, M16s, AR-15s, you know, <laughs> tw- you know everything. And, and uh, I said to him, you know, these, these guys are tough guys. You know, they, um, uh, I'm not a fighter, I'm a surfer. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I said, I need protection. He said, well, take a Remington 12-gauge pump action, semi-auto. I mean, I just come out of the South African military. Right. And... Uh, I pumped 10 shells. I think it was 10, nine or 10 shells into it. I mean, it had a big capacity magazine. Uh, and I mean, you just like pump these shells up, up the barrel, as I remember. It cost me $240. And, you know, I, I had that for my protection. And then ultimately, um, the situation was resolved. I had a meeting with all these tough guys and all the, all the uh, pro surfers on the, on the North Shore, all the Hawaiian guys came to support me at this meeting. There was about... 80 people there to support me and say, hey, you know, Sean's a, Sean hasn't done anything wrong, you know, and, and, and um, what was that like to feel that support when, when you had just gone to go protect yourself, you know, bought a firearm to protect yourself and then realized there was all the support there? It, it was great to know that, that, that there was that support from these like incredible surfers, you know, people like Larry Bertelman and um, Barry Kanaipuni. I mean, Barry Kanaipuni was a legend of legends. He was, you know, I mean, he was, a, he was a guy I admired so much. And, you know, to have him get up and, and say, hey, just leave Sean alone, you know. It's like um, he said, man, I've been to South Africa. There's some pretty big guys down there. And Hawaiians, you know, want to travel. And, you know, we can't have this sort of stuff happening. So ultimately it was resolved peacefully. But it, but it, was, a, it, was, a, it was that one winter was, a, 
you know, it was a tough winter for me. And you know, and, and to think that these were young men. You guys were young. You guys were, you know, really young and, and hadn't had a lot of life experience, but being challenged into this place where, you know, the trajectory of professional surfing and surfing in general was being determined. Um, it's a lot of responsibility to put on, on younger men. Um, you talk about in the book, you tell two stories, not back to back, but you tell two stories that seem to be contrary to one another, at least in the lesson. And I, I want to tease it out here. So, one of those lessons is about you being at Waimea, which is, uh, you know, for those that don't surf, is, is uh, the, the big wave spot on the North Shore. And you're on a huge day and you just get worked, you get pounded. And you have this choice to either go in or to go back out. And you choose to, to go back out and to keep surfing. And you talk about translating that go for it attitude, that, that, you know, getting back up and not quitting and how that's impacted your ability to create businesses and to keep things floating. And, you know, when things are, you know, get down to that last, that last part where you don't think you're going to make it and then somehow you, you get it to work. And, and then there was another story in there where you talk about being at, at another surf spot years later uh, and, and being, you know, having a, having a misunderstanding with a guy out in the water to say the least. And, uh, you know, he accused you of dropping it on him, and then later on on the beach, he sucker punched you. So it was an ugly situation, and you talk about how it impacted your love for the break for years to come, but then you discuss what would have happened if you'd just given that guy the wave instead of you know taking the wave and, and then you know all the chain of events that come after that. So there's these two things here of don't give up, don't back out, and then... There's always another wave. There's always another opportunity. But I think this is a chance to, to discuss some real wisdom here. The big question is, how do we know when to give or, or when, and, and when to stand firm here? How do we know when it's time to bend and when it's time to, to really dig deep and, and, and be firm? I'm curious if you've got any thoughts on that. Well, I think the one story is, um, and that's after I took just terrific pounding. I think I was 19 years old, maybe 20. At Waimea I had the worst wipeout of my life on the first wave I'd ever surfed at, at this legendary wave, Waimea After getting just savagely beaten um, and thinking that I'd actually broken my back and then paddling all the way in and, and getting back on my board and having to, to decide what to do, do I, you know, paddle, paddle in or do I paddle back out? And the shore was only 50 yards away. It would look very, it looked very enticing. And that chapter is really about, um, it's about courage. I think it's about perseverance, and also it is um, about optimism. That that no matter how beaten down you are, that that unless you find that courage inside you, and you find that op- optimism in your soul to know that you know only by enduring are you going to be able to get another wave. Uh, mm-hmm. So this aspect of courage. Um, for me, you don't know that you've got it until you're tested. You really don't. Um, and courage is not an absence of fear. Because when you ride big waves and you ride really, really challenging um, waves and, and you, know, you have these times in your life when you're, when you're scared, um, you find the courage when you see that and you look inside yourself and you are willing to still push forward and overcome that feeling of fear. I mean, that's what courage is. It's that sort of life force that pushes you through that, that fear barrier. So the first aspect is just 
looking inside yourself and finding that courage and paddling back out. It's, it's a, um, that's what that chapter's about. And, and then getting a hammering and persevering and pushing through that fear barrier and then ultimately getting another wave. So the, here, here's the odds, right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing that wants to hold me back from my life and 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 all that's possible. And it's time to dig deep. What have I got? What am I made of? It's t- this is the time to bring it forward, even though I'm scared, even though I've got my doubts. I do it anyway. Yeah, and 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 obviously, I was in a situation where where it was a life and death. Uh, it was a life and death situation. I wasn't. I mean, I could have really easily. I could really easily have drowned that day, uh, and I had to really dig so deep and really go up against that sort of primordial fear of drowning, because I think out of anything that happens in your life, when you get dumped down in water and uh, you go beyond that, that point where you can control, control the panic and just relax, you know, there, there, is, there, there comes a time where and you can't relax anymore. You've got to, you've got to fight. Mm. You've got to fight for your life. And you really feel that as a surfer when you have a terrible wipeout, like that wipeout I had that on, that, on that particular day. So that, that fear of dying is, it's not something, it's overt. It's not something that, is, uh, that you can think about, but you've experienced it viscerally. You, you've experienced that. That moment where, where it could have been lights out. But how, do, then, we, how do we translate that to? Because y- you had a business, and, and and tell us about how you took that experience, and then help, that helped you when it was time to dig deep with your business. Well, I had a business. My wife and I had a, had a successful business called Solitude. We we sold to all the, the top shops. Um, our business had been growing really really well for a number of years, um, and then when nine eleven hit. It became very, very difficult. And this business was going to be, a, um, you know, it was our dream. Come to America, start a business and, 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 have, it in, you know, have, it, have it start to be financially successful. So after 9-11 hit, it was very difficult. And uh, we had invested pretty much everything we had into the business. And um, after just slugging it out for, for some time, my wife, Carla, came to me. She said, Sean, we've got to close the business down because we have everything invested. And she said, we'll lose everything. You know, we'll lose all, everything that we've, we've, we've built up and we've got to shut this business down. So it was with a sort of a very heavy heart that over a period of, I don't know, maybe a week, 10 days, we started to uh, say goodbye to the employees and, and uh, dismantle everything. And then on the last day, I mean, it's amazing how, how life can work. You know, I'm, um, you know, from my surfing days, I, I, was, a, I was a fighter, that's... When I say a fighter, I'm talking about a fighter in, the, in, in metaphorical terms. Right. I, I never, ever gave up. When I surfed a heat, I would surf that heat to the bitter end no matter what. I mean, I would never, I would never quit. It was just that was a fundamental part of me as a competitor. I would not quit. So it was very hard to deal with the fact that we have to close our, our business. Then on a Friday afternoon, this was the last, supposed to be the last day in business. The only thing that was left was the company server and uh, my workstation. And the movies came, take it all away. I said, no, I'm fighting on. This stuff is not going. It, we're fighting. I'm fighting on. So on the Saturday morning, I get a call from a mate of mine 
great, great friend of mine. He was actually one of the original investors in, in Solitude. He said, you know, you won't believe what happened. I was at a baseball game and I made a, a, a guy came up to me. And uh, he said, wow, that's a cool shirt you're wearing. So that's kind of miracle number one, because guys never go to another guy, that's a cool shirt you're wearing. <laughs> so um, my friend said, well, it's a Solitude shirt at Sean and Carla Thompson's company. They're actually closing the, down their business. And he said, well, my dad and I now are familiar with that brand. We're investors in businesses. Maybe we can meet the Thompsons. We met on the Sunday. We did a handshake deal. We reopened for business on Monday. Wow. And uh, you know, a number of years later, <clears throat> I sold the business to to a, a multi billion dollar uh, corporation, but like I didn't, I got that fighting on attitude from what I learned in the surf, from from you know getting my backside kicked, but still paddling on my board and uh, paddling back out. You know that notion that you just got to paddle back out because that's when you're going to get the next wave. That absolute right. feeling of um, you know commitment, single mindedness. I don't think it's stubbornness, but it's absolute conviction and, and absolute um, commitment. And then how does that translate into this other situation where you, it, it, from a place of like, gosh, what if I had just given this guy the wave, this stuff wouldn't have happened. I can imagine that that goes against that competitor fighter instinct inside. And, and I've been out at, at, at crowded breaks and you, you would think it's life or death and that these are the only waves that are ever going to come in. This is the last one. People are just so kind of narrow-minded about that. What's the shift there? Help us navigate that so we can have that, that openness and that generosity without you know, being a wuss, but at the same time not get stuck into this kind of uh, scarcity mindset and stubbornness, as you said. Well, you know, they're both really connected because um, the notion of I'll always pedal back out equals I'll never give up. Um, you know, when you... Paddle back out, you, you, you're paddling back out with that, that feeling in your mind that there's going to be another wave. That's why you're paddling back out. You're paddling back out for another wave. And the connectedness there is that as a surfer, you know that there'll always be another wave. It's not just going to be one wave. There's going to be many waves, and the waves are going to come in sets of two or three or four or five or seven, and behind that set, there will be another set. So... It also teaches you that, that one has to have that, that patience and not have that desperation that this will be the last wave. This is my one and only chance at, at a wave. When, when this incident happened to me at Rincon Home many years ago, and um, I was sitting waiting for a wave, and you know, I waited for a long time for a wave, and Guy paddled around me and was like, "I'm going to go. It's my wave. It's this. I, I like. I'm going. To, I have ownership of this wave. I've been sitting. It's my right." And I stuffed the guy and made him fall off. And um, he came and confronted me on the on the beach, and I was sitting on the wall. And he said, "Are you Sean Thompson?" And you know, most of the time, surfers are like super friendly guys. And I said, "Yeah," you know, thinking you know he wanted a, a chat or something. And he said, "You dropped into me," and I said, "Yeah, it was my wave." You know, so that's how I'm thinking at the time. My mindset's in my wave. He said, well, it was my wave. And, my, my, and I said, it was my wave. And, and I went, ah, man. Uh, I can't remember what I said. And I turned away. And as I turned away, he, he, he sucker punched me. And, you know, we jumped up and it turned into a bit of a ugly brawl. So, you know, when I thought back on it, at the time, I was so convinced that this was my wave. And, and that, 
when I've thought back over it over the years, you know, it turned into an ugly scene and it sort of soured my relationship with a break and, you know, that people are going to get so angry they're going to slug you over a wave. It's like you can't change other people. It's very difficult. Mm. I mean, you have, you, you have absolute control over your attitude. You don't have absolute control over, over your circumstances. So I would rather just think, well, Hey man, there'll be another wave, and let that wave go. And it's not like you're giving in. It's not like you're bending over, and and uh, because a guy has been um, aggressive and confrontational, just give him away. Because there'll be there'll be others, and that's 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 surfing. Is that there will be many, 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 many other waves. I think it's a far more chilled way to look at. Um, Life. I mean, certainly, I was very, very, very competitive, and certainly, I would go head to head. I try to paddle around me, paddle my inside. I would go head to head, and sometimes I still, I still do. But I will never get involved in a, you know, verbal dispute about a wave run. No, it's just not. Well, it has me wondering. You know, I'm thinking about the guy that's out there. He doesn't surf. He doesn't. He's, you know, he's. But in 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 his life, I'm imagining there are things where. Maybe it's not even about the money or it's about the thing, but it's it's actually a he he whether he realizes it or not, it's a reflection of his self worth. He's being disrespected. He's not um, that. That's what he's really fighting about. It sounds to me that you're not even discussing like that when when that place of another wave. It it's not about you at that point. It's not a judgment against you or what you're entitled to or that kind of thing. I just imagine if it's not a very high sense of self worth. We're going to feel like we've got to defend ourselves all the time, and we will go head to head with somebody like that. You know what I'm trying to point out in that um, chapter is that it's not going to go away, but you, as a person, have to deal with it in a way that um, that that is still going to give you a good experience in a crowded condition. And, and I think the best way to do that is just maybe by chilling every now and then. You know, you might get across, and then you just chill and. And I'm out here, I'm floating, I've got the horizon in front of me, I've got all my troubles behind me. And you just sort of realize that's what's important. You, know, you don't have to get that biggest, best wave and maybe someone paddled around you. It, it, it ain't a big deal because another wave will come through. Have some perspective. Um, mm-hmm. you, you talk about in the book, you, you, you talk a lot about your son passing away when he was 15 and, and how difficult that was. You talked about, you said something there, and this dovetails into what you just said, which was living in the world of what if versus living in the world of what is would have destroyed you and your wife. Um, and I, I'm just imagining like how you were talking just now that you know, being out in the lineup and being, well, it shouldn't be this way and being a no to it. And these people shouldn't be here. And that guy shouldn't have paddled around robs you of the experience of actually enjoying what is there at that time. But I, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about what you said and how that relates to the context of being in just that, that horrible experience after losing your son. Having that um, perspective and blaming yourself or blaming or thinking about what could have been. Now, when you, when you experience terrible sorrow, you have, you have that sort of terrible loss. It's very difficult to accept the reality of it. It's that, that, that's just the way it is. Mm. And in some ways you can escape uh, by, um, by maybe not accepting it. 
Um, but ultimately, you're going to have to accept that, just that terrible reality that you're going to have to live your life differently now because your life has changed. You, you don't have that can you don't have that physical connection anymore with that person you love, they're gone. There's so many what-ifs right. that it can destroy you. It, it really can destroy you. And you cannot live whether it's from a loss or in any circumstances. You can't say that. You can't live in that world of conjecture. You have to live in that world of hard fact. And it's a hard fact. Um, so that I had, I had written that because it, it ultimately, it helped me so much. It's just, you've got to accept it. It's not what if it's what is, it was an easy way for me to accept the, the terrible finality of what had happened. Um, and it helped me deal with, um, with the loss because it's a, like a, it's, you know, the metaphor that is, is used in, in so much literature is that it's that journey. Um, it's that long, hard road that one has to keep walking on. And, um, you know, my, my boy had, had read me this beautiful essay that he'd written two hours before he died. And he'd written a line in that essay, the light shines ahead. Uh, it was one of the a line in, in, in this essay that he'd written about tube writing. And, you know, tube writing is what I, tube writing is what I used to do. Tube writing was my, um, my sort of specialty in, in surfing. And, uh, you know, for him to write this beautiful essay, it was very perceptive and uh, just really encapsulated the tube writing experience. And then for him inside that to say the light shines ahead, both from a perspective of what happens when you're inside the tube and then also from a perspective of how one has to to look at life, life that, that, that one has to know that, you know, the sun will rise tomorrow. The mm. sun will, will absolutely rise tomorrow, that the night will give way to light. What a powerful message to get, to have to get actually from him. Uh, instead, I just try to imagine like, yeah, 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 but right now I'm hurting. But that, that actually came from him. That was coming directly from him and, and, uh, do you imagine it might have been hard to hear that message had it not come from him? Oh, you know, it's, you know, the whole notion of like imagining something different. It's, a, it's, I never got, I never really went there because I, I think you have to live in this present time. You can't live in the past and, 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 uh, you know, you can't live in that future. It's, um, I never, I never thought of it that way. It was just like, this, 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 this is, this is, this is what it is right now. And this is what I have to accept. And this is what I have to, um, what I have to deal with. And I have to build my life. I have to build my attitude, um, around this. You know, this concept of attitude, it's, it's um, you know, when you, when you have a loss, you just think about life differently. You, you, you look at it differently. You get, a, you get like this knowledge. You don't want it. You don't ask for it. It just comes to you. And I think it's just a way of, of you being able to deal with and learning how to deal with, with a tragedy. 
And, you know, none of us have got absolute control of our circumstances. You know, you, you don't know. You can, I could walk out of this room and there'd be an earthquake and my home would fall on me or I could walk across the road and a car would run me over. Right. The next session, and you know, who knows what could what happen. But <clears throat> you have absolute control of your attitude, absolute control of your attitude. And, and I've always felt that, that um, you know, your attitude is defined about how you think about life, how you think about the present, how you think about the past, how you think about the future. That all forms how you think about this moment. Um, and that's what my book, my books are about, you know, my books are about like, about building this positive attitude. And my new book is, is, is absolutely written to empower positive attitude. That, that is what it is all about. There's an exercise in the back of the book that's free that I'm trying to get introduced into every single school in the nation. It's a simple empowerment exercise. It takes 30 minutes and it's 12 lines. Every line begins with our will. That's it. You write your own code. 12 lines, every line begins with our will. And I found that it is so empowering to think about your values and think about the future and write it down. Think about, think about it and write it down in the present. Because when you write your thoughts down, they develop this great power, I think. These words ultimately um, will become your actions. And your actions, um, powered by your attitude, are going to define you. I think you did it well. I, you know, I've enjoyed reading. I've read, I've read both of the books and uh, love how you know, you're giving us some very positive lessons to learn. And they come from gritty places. This isn't just uh, you know, do like I do and, and you, know, you won't have any bumps in the road kind of thing. Uh, you're, you're teaching us and sharing from a place of, of real challenges that you've had. And, and uh, to me, that's what, what really has it ground and be very powerful. You know, the books are not like, well... Follow my, follow my lessons for success. They're, they're not written that way. The books are just written to maybe create a little spark for someone to write their own code, for someone to sit down and in half an hour just write these 12 promises to, to themselves. That's, that's what the books are written for. Here's a statistic that very, very few people know about in America. Last year, 2.4 million people died in the United States. One million out of that 2.4 million died from bad choices. One million people. 617,000 American troops died in the Second World War between 1939 and 45. 617,000. 55,000 troops died in Vietnam. But last year, a million people died from bad choices. So this notion of empowering people to make positive choices and there's many, 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 many ways that people can be empowered to make positive choices. I've offered up one little simple free solution. And maybe someone, somewhere, a little kid or whoever it is, will maybe do this exercise and think about maybe their future differently and make one decision differently. There's a lot to be, lot to be learned there. The, the book we're talking about is The Code. The Power of I Will. Visit SeanThompson.com. Sean, thank you so much for talking today. I feel like we're just scratching the surface on what, what you've got to offer here. I'm glad you're writing. Glad you're sharing this out there in the world. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Awesome, Trip. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. 
There's so much more to The New Man than these interviews. So visit thenewmanpodcast.com and join the mailing list so you never miss another update. Thanks for listening.